Finsight, the Global Financial Institutions Industry Podcast. My name is Sarah Williams, and I'm a Senior Associate in the Financial Services Practice in London, advising a broad range of clients on financial services, legal and regulatory issues. For this episode, we're going to take a closer look at fintech in South Africa and the Sub-Saharan African region. Over the last few years, the fintech ecosystem in Africa has seen tremendous growth and diversification. Currently, payments, B2B technology, lending and investments are the top market segments. Joining me today is Ashlyn Peramal, a partner in Baker McKenzie's corporate M&A practice groups based in our Johannesburg office. Ashlyn specializes in technology-driven transactions and the corporate and commercial aspects of intellectual property, with a focus on novel business models in the fintech industry. He's also served as a Baker McKenzie Fellow to the World Economic Forum Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution in San Francisco in the Digital Currency Working Group. This is as part of the firm's partnership with the forum to address global, regional, and industry policy issues in respect to four IR technologies. Thanks for joining us, Ashlyn. Many thanks for having me, Sarah. Glad to be here. So to get us started, at a high level, you know, how do you see the current situation for fintech in Africa? Thanks, Sarah. So um, fintech in Africa at the moment is no longer a niche space and over the last few years has become a pretty much a, a core market segment, not just in the country, but across the African continent. In fact, seven out of nine, um, Africa's nine notable tech unicorns are fintech companies. There was a recent one called Opay, which took the single largest investment round secured by an African-based startup at 570 million US dollars. So despite the global pandemic, the African fintech ecosystem has remained on a steady rise. Um, Increasing access um, to mobile devices, internet connectivity, and backbone network infrastructure has played a large role in accelerating Africa into becoming one of the second fastest markets for global banking and payments businesses. Um, This is largely because servicing the underbanked and migrant workforce has also created unique pain points for innovative fintech and financial solutions. Um, A historic lack of financial infrastructure has also allowed some of these fintech players to work on and solve some of the big financial problems without the early on challenge from uh, current incumbents. As a result, mobile money, for example, and third-party payment systems in particular have been segment leaders, with more than half of the world's mobile money customers now based in Africa. The continent currently also accounts for three quarters of the world's mobile money and peer-to-peer transactions by volume. Now, taking a different vein, as a investment segment, the fintech industry has also accounted for about 25% of all venture capital rounds in the last two to three years, with South Africa joining other regional leaders such as Egypt, Nigeria, and Kenya. Across 2020 and 2021, the region also saw the majority of fintech investment coming from non-African centers and specifically the money markets around the world, such as West Coast, USA and China, as the confidence in African financial innovation is on the rise. Now, the heated attention has obviously um, led some to speculate whether the situation for African fintech is sustainable in the current global market where VC startup valuations have been falling across the board. The South African payment subsector, for example, that's the payments technology subsector, is already said to be saturated and ripe for M&A consolidation. But the figures tell a different story. In the first quarter of this year, Africa was the only region to record triple-digit growth according to some databases monitoring venture funding into the region, and the bulk of this is pouring into fintech. 
the party clearly isn't over just yet, and it looks like there's still a lot of headroom for new entrants. Thanks, Ashlyn. And I think that really rings true with some of the work that we've been doing. You know, we obviously work together quite often, and South Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa comes up comes up a lot. Um, so we've talked a little bit about different segments, and you know, we've both mentioned pension uh, payments, B two B technologies, lending, and investments as the top market segments. Could you elaborate a bit on those? And in addition. Do you see any change or other other emerging segments that might dominate the South African market in the future? Thanks, Sarah. I mean, there are roughly about eight or so major sub-segments which have emerged in South African fintech. The dominating is obviously payments or paytech. Now, this is accounting for more than a quarter of the number of fintech companies in, in South Africa. Now, this these type of players typically entail institutions which um, facilitate the sending or receiving of value across digital channels. And most of these are third-party payment providers or PSPs as they would be referred to in other countries. The segment also includes mobile point-of-sale providers, cross-border remittance, and payment aggregators. Now, the second largest segment after Paytech is B2B Tech, which you've just mentioned, which includes the white labeling and infrastructure providers um, to customer-facing fintechs, ideally the the outsourcing uh, backbone for a lot of the fintech companies that, that have been emerging. Now, these included services such as identity management, identity verification, data aggregators, and process automation. So they are often companies which you wouldn't normally consider fintech that by their client base could be defined as B2B fintech. Um, and it's worth noting in the African market. The lending sub-segment comes up third um, largest, but is quickly growing, encompassing online lenders and asset financing. Now, the balance of the market after these three segments is split between savings uh, and deposit providers, investment solution um, providers, insurtech, which is still quite small but rapidly growing, financial planning and ro- uh, such as robo-advisory, and then capital raising and crowdfunding. Interesting, uh, half of the insurtech market remains as legacy incumbent insurance providers. So the companies from the old financial world using digital distribution channels for their products. However, peer-to-peer and social insurance, for example, is representing a huge challenge to the established industry. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of companies emerge from that challenge. The investment segment, in particular, its crypto asset component, remains a largely exclusive sector in uh, overall user comparison, although there have been some very large institutions emerging, particular in crypto to fiat exchanges. Some sources seem to indicate that alternate financing and digital investment segments will also be ones to watch as these has significant African use cases, but are relatively underdeveloped when compared to the payment sector. Sounds like there's definitely a lot of growth uh, going on. And I know that, you know, in the last five years, in addition to the sort of segment growth, we've also seen a lot of investments growing in South Africa and actually in the broader African continent as well, you know, really demonstrating that interest in investment in the fintech ecosystem. What do you think are some of the factors that have driven people, you know, to make those investments? I think that's a great question. Uh, As mentioned, the African continent presents the opportunity for companies to solve really big um, countrywide problems with vast potential user bases without much of that initial challenge from incumbents or legacy competitors. 
Now, this is because um, such a low proportion of Africa's population currently have adequate access to financial products. And the potential for digital deployment of solutions completely exploded uh, along the rise in mobile and internet access as this increased since 2007. Now, for example, due to a lack of um, uh, interconnectedness of in the broad cross-border banking infrastructure a, and a huge migrant labor workforce, there was a clear need for ways to transmit money across regions safely. 21% of Lesotho's gross domestic product, for instance, comes from remittances from migrant workers. Now, with such vast pain points, the addressable user markets are huge. With the right targeted solutions, the potential for rapid growth is fairly significant. Now, African fintech startups are also able to do more dollar-based capital raises if they have locally uh, do more with dollar-based uh, capital raises rather if they have locally based operations. In other words, there's a lot more that those operations can achieve with dollar-based investments and venture capital. Uh, uh, rounds. And this, to some extent, is reliving some of the explosive growth and potential that existed in the heydays of tech investment in Silicon Valley. Now, this has all come at a time when globally, um, the indicators are pointing the other direction and where venture funding is starting to become more and more cautious. Africa's rise, therefore, could be said um, and arguably arrives at a point where venture investors are looking for leaner and faster growth opportunities who could do more with their capital in a very short period. Yeah, it's super interesting. And, you know, we've already touched on a bit of this already, but, you know, maybe you can share more more insights around South Africa and, and otherwise. But you know, what do you think makes these key markets attractive to investors? You know, as we've said, we've seen in the last five years investments pouring into Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa. So what, what is it do you think about these markets? What are the key attributes? And, and do you think there's any other sort of emerging countries what, that could be challenges uh, to those markets in the future? Um, I'll start with Nigeria and Kenya, which you mentioned, as I think those are the African fintech hotbeds and have been for a number of years. Um, Kenya's fintech explosion is largely because the general African fintech wave followed the penetration of mobile phone technology and infrastructure. Now, Kenya's current mobile phone penetration, for example, uh, surpasses the country's entire population by about 12%. Kenya's flagship fintech, that's M-Pesa, which is owned by the telecommunications giant Safaricom, focuses its efforts on mobile money and value transfer service and the role that, um, and rode the wave of exponential market adoption in mobile technology between 2007 and today. Now, they built on a technology akin to text messaging and through that was able to offer payment solutions to individuals who did not have a data connection but had access to a cellular phone tower and very basic uh, mobile de devices, uh, typically non-smartphones even. Um, in that same period, financial inclusion uh, went from 26% in 2006 to 83% of the total population today. That activity created a market which many other fintech entrants were able to diversify within. And as a result, a large portion of GDP flo uh, currently flows through such services. Now, this makes the regulators similarly very fintech friendly, obviously, and interested to be cooperative um, towards, towards innovation. Um, Nigeria has had a similar, although perhaps more rapid, rise in the last few years. Three of the largest African unicorns come from Nigeria, and Nigeria is the dominant country in respect of fintech venture capital investments, at least since 2019. 
Um, it has followed some of the same drivers that Kenya uh, has experienced, particularly mobile penetration. But Nigeria has also benefited from a highly entrepreneurial technology sector in the country and deep issues in respect of financial inclusion. About 38 million adults in Nigeria are completely financially excluded, particularly when it comes to credit access. This was the perfect soup for dynamic um, fintechs to emerge with massive potential uh, market access if successful. Now, South Africa, on the other hand, experiences some of this, but the benefits it has is from a robust financial and banking industry, um, but has also uh, experienced an industry that has been slow to adopt new technologies, um, adopted digitization, and the modest, uh, modernization of legacy banking tech. Now, this has led South Africa to seeing additional trends in open banking fintechs operating, operating on top of the current banking infrastructure, but providing more nimble payment channels um, and more user-friendly interfaces. Um, another country worth watching is Senegal, which produced Wave, which recently saw a 200 million US capital raise. This is the first unicorn, in fact, to uh, emerge from the Francophone African region with its Series A being the largest to come to that region. Examples such as this cynical investment uh, demonstrate that there is still more African regions to, yet to come online in the African fintech push. Yeah, really interesting to hear about why some of the market you know, specificities might you know, have led to those investment drives. And I know you uh, mentioned briefly the regulators being sort of fin fintech friendly. So maybe if we look at some of the regulatory developments uh, at a high level, what are some of the recent developments in South Africa that investors might want to be mindful of in the region? Um, so we actually have some really interesting news that just come out came out this week, which I'll, I'll touch on in a second. So I'm glad I'm really glad you asked that question. But I'll just quickly give a little bit of the lay of the land for South Africa. Um, South Africa has taken a very coordinated approach towards its um, regulation and has created what is called the Intergovernmental FinTech Working Group, or the IFWG, which is basically a consortium of key financial regulators. And the aim of this consortium is to allow the, um, the relevant regulators to coordinate their efforts around the specific policy issues that FinTech has, has caused to emerge. Now, the consortium includes a number of regulators. I'm not going to mention all of them. It includes our Reserve Bank, the South African Reserve Bank, which also doubles by, by per chance as the prudential authority um, and the money, monetary systems regulator. And it also includes the FSCA, which is our financial services regulator, as well as our uh, anti-money laundering regulator. Now, what this group has been up to is they've been engaging in public-private uh, participatory discussions and the producing of position papers um, to settle on their policies uh, to advise the drafting of regulations. Now, much of the focus of the IFWG has been for the last period um, since their inception, um, the regulation of crypto assets. Now, this has been the focus in most of the papers they produced, as well as most of the events and discussions with the market that they've been engaging in. It appears that anti-money laundering and South African exchange control will be the primary focus areas uh, in respect of the IFWG. Uh, in the wider fintech arena, um, South African regulators has focused on payments regulation environment, given the size of this subsegment and the fact that it has been due for significant overhaul for a long time as part 
of the central bank's uh, uh, Vision 2025 problem, uh, program. That's what they call it, the Vision 2025 program. Now, this was uh, spurred on by a report issued by the uh, central bank um, in 2018, um, and it sets out the goals and strategies for national the national payments industry and is aimed at building a world-class national payment system that serves the economy and the people of South Africa. Now, there are a number of um, central bank initiatives which are spurred on by or connected to this Vision 2025 program, and one of which, and this is the, the, the hot news that I thought it would be worth mentioning, is an announcement that was made this week by the South African Reserve Bank that it is working on a new rapid payments program, or RPP. Now, this RPP is aimed at modernizing real-time payments, um, such as immediate credit push, pay-by-proxy, and request-to-pay functionality into the national payment system. So not operated by any specific bank, but a national payment system, in fact, provided as a service um, across the industry by the Reserve Bank. Now, when fully implemented, the Reserve Bank has stated that the RPP will offer a cost-effective instant payment service across banks. So that means interbank settlement becomes a, an almost immediate uh, procedure, as well as a proxy service to embed user banking details um, and request to pay service, as well as support for many of the known retail payment use cases. Now, that all is a fancy way of saying that um, the speed of payments uh, will be be able to increase as a benefit of this, but not just speed, also the amount of information that needs to be uh, communicated to effect payments could be potentially reduced. Now, the Payments Association of South Africa and BankServe Africa, a consortium banks, has announced the formation of a new clearinghouse um, uh, established on top of the RPP scheme. Now, uh, it's really exciting. Um, the SOB uh, has noted that uh, they're working with several banking participants to build this technology. Um, and is currently in testing phase with the implementation hopefully planned for the second half of uh, this um, this year, so 2022. Thanks, Ashlyn. Some really interesting developments there in, in the region and, you know, something that I know a lot of people are interested to see the speed of payment transactions in particular coming through. Um, to change tack a little bit, you know, obviously you're a partner in the uh, Johannesburg Corporate M&A groups. So it's an area that you focus on and We've touched, you know, on this a bit with some of the regulatory developments to think about, but to focus in maybe a little bit more on deal activity in the country, um, you know, from your experiences and maybe some of your observations of the market, what are some of the key deal issues that our listeners should know about? So um, I'm going to start with the one that just comes out in almost every deal that we we engage in. Um, and the most prominent issue we encounter is the housing of intellectual property in South African corporate startups. Now, many fintechs um, have valuable intellectual property, either in, for example, the application program interfaces they develop, um, the solution architectures they've developed, or simply the data that they've gathered or collected as part of their ecosystems. And that could potentially have some valuable intellectual property to it that um, an investor would be interested in securing and potentially externalizing or, or seeing being used outside of the South African region. Now, South Africa is subject to an exchange control regime whereby any transfer of intellectual property from a South African resident to a non-resident, i.e. an export out the country, it requires a reserve bank approval. Now, as a result, many fintechs have either structured around this with their IP sitting offshore in offshore vehicles, 
and some other fintechs have not done anything, which then separately raises the concern with most VC investors as to um, how South African fintechs will expand globally. Either way, IP presents a specific deal structuring and diligence issue, which must be looked at carefully for any South African fintech. Um, secondly, another uh, 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 perhaps obvious deal issue that's come up quite often is that um, most um, South African and fin- South African, sorry, uh, and African fintechs are founder-owned and run startups with lean capital outlay, particularly when it comes to to legal compliance. Now. Nonetheless, with the dramatic differences in round sizes from, for example, the average seed round of a South African startup compared to its huge Series A or B rounds that we've seen the last few years, it means that these companies suddenly scale and um, they scale in a way that doesn't match how their you know, staff sizes have scaled or their um, ability to uh, deploy individuals for legal compliance. Now, the financial industry in South Africa is by no surprise, very heavily regulated with a robust and active regulator and regulatory compliance of mid to large institutions is fairly significant. And noting that these sudden injections of capital could come with legal and regulatory investment is a must. Um, the assessment uh, in the due diligence stage is key to ensure that post-investment deployment of capital is towards closing these regulatory compliance gaps very quickly. Lastly, uh, I think that on the founder engagement point, um, founder engagement is very important. Many of the um, reliance of uh, African fintechs is on their founder or teams that sur- surround that founder. It's very centralized in respect of control of the business and also value that's sitting uh, with a few individuals um, and not institutionalized across the fintechs operations. Now, this means that both relationship building ahead of investments with founders is a key uh, uh, theme and, and and very crucial in respect of um, engaging at early stages, as well as appropriate commitments and alignment of post-acquisition goals. Often founders, for example, expect investors to go along for their journey, especially in, in uh, venture capital rounds, so to speak. And Many have future goals that are attractive to investors, uh, for example, expanding into different African regions, maybe investing in a different arm of fintech, um, but they might also have goals that are not attractive. For example, if they want to expand into regions out of Africa, which don't necessarily match with the investor's long-term goals for the startup. So reading data room slide decks on business growth and objectives, as well as having appropriate management conversations around this, should be treated as a very primary source for issue spotting alongside the traditional current arrangement and agreement review that we as um, uh, transactional lawyers would be looking at. Thanks, Ashlyn. Some really interesting points there, I think, for people to think about and uh, themes that have definitely come out on projects that we've worked with, you know, worked on with your team. So I guess as a final final question, um, looking into the future, some future gazing, what do you think is the future for fintech in South Africa? And I guess the African content in the next, let's say, five to 10 years. Thanks, Sarah. I think that the African fintech scene uh, has shown incredible resilience across the pandemic and even after the turmoil in the global markets of 2022. Um, This goes to show that the momentum that Africa has seen um, is not only driven by the availability of capital, but also by the creation of value by solving real problems with large and real user, user markets. 
Now, the biggest challenge um, to fintech um, and that fintech may face is the what we've heard in the in the media being called global stagflation, and that investors are going to be more careful in their investment choices and risks that they're willing to take. Um, I'm optimistic, nonetheless. While some sub segments such as payments maybe hitting their peak, it's debatable. Um, I still believe that there's a lot more room um, in others such as uh, alternative lending, digital investment, and neobanking, which I'm, I'm getting more and more excited about, as well as many other African countries coming online, which haven't yet reached the levels of, for example, Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, or Egypt in their fintech developments. Um, all in all, fintech solutions have not yet, in my opinion, scratched the surface of the pain points and the consequent opportunities uh, in Africa. I think the growth of fintech in Africa has a lot of runway still left, and I honestly am excited to be part of the Baker McKenzie team on the ground in that journey. Thanks so much, Ashlyn. And I'm sure that there's lots of projects we'll be working on, as you say. I think there's still a long way, a, a lot of space still to grow there. Um, and thank you so much to our listeners today. If you found this podcast helpful, you might be interested to check out Baker McKenzie's FinTech Hub, which is a platform that's dedicated to our FinTech resources and insights and is developed based on our analysis and market experiences. You might also want to check out other episodes of this podcast at Finsight, where we regularly cover recent trends and developments for financial institutions worldwide. Uh, I'm Sarah Williams, and thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you can join us for the next episode of Finsight. 